I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. So Alyssa, the only part of the Grammys that I watched was the incredibly tear-jerking and like amazing duet between Tracy Chapman and Luke Combs. Mm-hmm. It was so I watched it like four times. It was I, so beautiful. I, I mean, my Instagram story was a was a crime scene of of every single post I could find about it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was beautiful. But the other thing that I saw from the Grammys was, in addition to Miley Cyrus looking like there is no Miley, only Zool, um, I feel like somebody arrests need to be made, and not okay. Killer Mike, not Killer Mike. I think no, Killer not Mike Killer Mike is should be arrested the least of anybody. Um, arrests need to be made in the dental community in Los Angeles. Oh. Who is installing all these veneers? It's a there sea are, of chiclets. A sea is, of chiclets. It is. It is in, unconscionable. They they have to be breaking some kind of law. These and veneers I want, are terrible. I need people to know when we look at your teeth, we don't think look at those teeth. I wonder how big the container is. You take them out of your mouth at night to put them in must be because but they, can't they look because they they grind the veneer process. I'm is just really saying weird. I know what veneers are, but they look. Like, they look like you could take them out. You, they look like you could take them out. Just stop doing it, guys. It is like such a permanent, odd thing. Imagine, Ugh. imagine no. if like a thousand years in the future, like somebody digs up your skeleton and is like, "What was this person's deal?" And they're like, they ground off all their teeth and put on other worse teeth. That's dentures. Stupid. They look like dentures. That's the they word I was thinking like of. Dentures. And they look like to, dentures. People need to be arrested. People need to go to jail. People. I agree with you. It needs to stop. Fun show today, Alyssa. We yes, Aaron. I got to interview the author of a book that I have most recently read and not been able to shut up about. It was incredible. I got to listen. It was really fun. Capo Hannon, an incredibly great writer, a really interesting researcher, and a great speaker. You're going to want to stick around for that interview. We also got some news to get to. News. We got more post-row roundup because there's always something new every week. There's, it never stops, and it's never going to stop. And if we stop, they're not going to stop, and so we can't stop. Can't and stop. And that's just the way that it is. We also talk about the verdict from Michigan mm-hmm. that has implications for parental responsibility around the country. And we talk a little bit about some stupid bullshit and ask whether or not it matters. And you're super sanny, and I'm Trey Petty this week. You're so petty this week. I, I know. I'm still petty. I'm just not talking about it. Yeah, I know. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who believe that if the legislative branch is going to be as big a clusterfuck as it is, the least we can do is adopt a constitutional amendment legalizing and perhaps mandating gambling on it, like the Super Bowl. (laughs) I mean, all I have to say, I think in two decades, Nancy Pelosi didn't lose as many votes as Mike Johnson did in one day. Yeah. How many votes did he lose? Yeah, two. He lost two yesterday. What was Which, the by point? the way, means he can't count. <laughs> hmm. Men are That's bad losing. at math, huh? Bad at um, math. 
Uh, I, uh, I was just thinking about that wacky thing he said when he thought there was no press at the event where he was like, I'm like, did he say he was like Moses? Yeah, something like that. He's like Moses if Moses got lost twice in the desert. And uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry, guys. We hit a dead end. This actually isn't the, uh, this actually isn't the Red Sea. We got to turn around. I, Waze did this. Um, it's, it's. It's not good. It's not it's not great for America and it's really not even that funny. No, it's not great for I mean it's it is funny that it's happening to him who is really a contemptible genre of guy um sort of a you know Kevin Spacey and Stephen Colbert's evil love child. Oh my god, that is so accurate. I know. I'm sorry Stephen Colbert. I've everything I've heard not about Not sorry is, Kevin Spacey. No, everything I've heard about Stephen Colbert is that he's a lovely person, but Mike Johnson does look a little bit like Stephen Colbert. Sorry to say. Yeah, 100%. Um, Okay, let's get into, uh, you know, there's a lot going on federally with Trump's trials and congressional floundering. But let's start in the state of Michigan. Alyssa, what happened this week in Michigan? So, Erin, I guess we file this under very good for America, still kind of sad. Uh, This week, Jennifer Crumbly, mother in Michigan, was found guilty of four counts of involuntary manslaughter after her son killed four of his Oxford High School classmates in 2021. So, Erin, her sentencing will occur uh, on April 9th, where she could receive up to the maximum of 15 years behind bars per charge, which would be served concurrently instead of consecutively. So that's better. Um, Her son, the shooter, was sentenced to life in prison last year. Her husband, James, will be tried separately in March. So, Aaron, when this all happened, we talked about it. It was very interesting when the prosecuting attorney for Oakland County, Michigan, Karen McDonald, filed these charges because no parent has ever been held accountable for their child's actions in a mass shooting. So Mm -hmm. other parents have been charged, um, like the six-year-old who shot his teacher uh, in Virginia. His mom uh, pled to neglect charges. So the jury found Crumbly uh, failed to respond to warning signs exhibited by the shooter, her son, prior to the attack. They purchased him. She and her husband purchased him a gun, ignored warnings from school officials, which included the fact that he was... uh, doing violent drawings on his schoolwork. He was Googling how to buy bullets. He was watching shooting videos. And so the the reason I say it's a little sad is because I watched a lot of the trial and like these just, it seems like they're just a very sad family. But Mm -hmm. the, the facts are the facts. And what they did is sort of really neglect a lot of blinking red beacons that were saying, Maybe don't buy him a gun and get him some therapy instead. Mm-hmm. And I was reading that that Ethan even said that he was asking for therapy or he was yes. asking for help and his parents did not get him help. And the people in the school had said that, you know, he should have help. I, something about this story, it reminded me of a couple things. First, I could think of like three, four families in the town that I grew up in that reminded me a lot Absolutely. of— his family. Like, and, you know, in elementary school, they were the kids that didn't really look cared for when they came to school. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the I mean, I hate to be, no, I don't hate to be judgmental. Like, bad parents. People who are bad parents who were not 
taking care of their children who were buying a child a gun at 15. You're attentive enough to buy a child a You're right. like, it is kind of, um, it's it's not, look, even in a culture that, that where guns are, are pretty common, buying a child a handgun at 15 is not really a thing that I really saw people do in, in my culture growing up no. where, where guns were my culture, my rural Midwestern culture. Same. Where, they were for where, hunting. They're for hunting. So you would buy a long gun and hunter safety was taken very seriously. Like, yep. you know, you, you took the class when you were 12 and mm-hmm. kids knew how to handle guns. But even still, in a place where there were uh, lots and lots of guns, there were accidents. Like, I'm sure you grew up with people who kids got access to guns that were improperly secured. And oh, tragedy. I'm sure. I mean, Aaron, where I grew up, I mean, I think that we grew up in sort of somewhat similar communities. On the first day of hunting season, there was always an announcement over the loudspeaker in high school that we know it's the first day of hunting season, but everyone needs to bring their guns, which were in their gun racks on their pickup trucks, home at lunchtime. That was normal. Like, mm-hmm. that was totally normal. Um, people were not bringing handguns to school. There wasn't this fascination. We didn't have Google, so you couldn't Google bullets, that's for sure. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. It just it, it just seems like, I mean, Michigan and a few other states have now, uh, I think it's actually not a few other states, a lot of other states now have laws requiring guns to be secured around children. But one of the problems with these laws is that they're kind of hard to enforce. Like, yeah. you know, I grew up with a family. Um, there was a, The girl was in my kindergarten class, and she had two brothers. And one brother got a hold of a family gun and shot and killed the other brother. They were like, oh children. They were like not—it wasn't—it was, was an accident, you know. And, mm-hmm. and, and I guarantee you that that gun was not properly secured, the gun that the, the right. one boy got and killed the other boy. But, like— I feel like as a prosecutor, are you going to charge those parents when they're grieving the loss of their child? You know, like, I feel like emotionally that's like a difficult, it's a difficult call. And, you know, one of the, the foreman of the jury actually said that one of the most important factors to them in deciding the verdict was that uh, Mrs. Crumbly had been the person in possession of the gun prior to Ethan getting his hands on it. So... Mm Clearly, she hadn't secured it, and they did see that as negligence. Mm -hmm. I just—I think it's absolutely ridiculous. We live in a country where you can't get a tattoo when you're 15, but you can have a gun. Like, what the fuck? You you can have a gun, but you can't buy alcohol. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's— it's really ridiculous. Um, You know, another interesting aspect of this is— this is uh, this kind of falls under the category of parental responsibility issues, which I find very interesting in the context of parental rights issues that are coming mm-hmm. up in places like Florida um, and Texas. Even though parental rights is usually just dog whistle for like the you know parents get to control the bodies of their children, but right. I, I think like it brings up an important point. Like, okay, these children are your responsibility. You have certain rights over, like, things like, you know, where they go to school for the most part. You can— Sure. It's your—I just think, you know, if people want to have rights over their children's lives, then they also have responsibility for things that their children do. Absolutely. And it it also brings into relief the fact that, like, man, 
a child is not a non-dangerous thing to have. You know, like we're in a we're in a country that is trying to force more people to have children, right? Yes. And yes. so many people are really not good at it. Being a parent is not just a thing that seamlessly fits into an existing life because the responsibilities of parenthood in the U.S. are not socialized at all. The responsibilities right. of parenthood, for the most part, fall entirely on the parents of the child. The state does, provides very little support. The state provides very little help, you know. And, and so forcing people who are utterly ill-equipped to absorb all that responsibility to have and raise a child, like— it just seems like policy uh, malpractice. Yeah. Because there are people all over the country who should not have children because they are not responsible people. It has nothing to do with, like, economics, whatever. I think that the government should support anybody's, you know, anybody at any, like, economic strata who wants to have children. That's part of, like, reproductive justice. But there right. are people who who lack the capacity to and know they parent. do. And know they do. To, they lack the capacity to effectively parent. And this is what happens. I remember when I was, like, pregnant with Juniper, I didn't know if she was a boy or a girl. And there was part of me that was like, if I give birth to a boy, I will feel like I have been handed an unloaded gun. Because yeah. boys can are statistically way more likely to grow up to do something violent, are statistically more likely to grow up to, to be hurt by violence themselves. I don't know. I, I, this is like a side conversation, but, like, this case really draws attention to the fact that forcing people who should not have kids to have kids and then do nothing to support them and nothing to make sure that there's fail-safes in place if they are shitty parents, like, right. that seems bad. We shouldn't be doing that. Like should, that, it, that's it what does. Happens. It feels dangerous. It feels very dangerous, Aaron. It feels really, really dangerous. And um, yeah, this is also like this is what happens when we do not socialize the responsibility of parenting when we just mm -hmm. put it on individual people. And it, it, it's it's fucking tragic. What happened in that in that high school was completely preventable. There were multiple points at which it seems like the mom could have intervened, the dad could have yeah. intervened. Um, but the school didn't. tried to intervene. I and mean, like the one of the other facts of the case that's so outrageous is that when the school on the day of the shooting brought the parents in to be like, we're concerned, the parents, and this to me is the most willful, negligent part, didn't mention there was an uh, there was there were guns at home. Mm. Yeah, that that to me, like when we were talking about this yesterday, you had some mm -hmm. mixed feelings about this because you thought that because the mother's trial was first that maybe she would yeah. sort of be the the scapegoat here. I was I I am I still am a little worried about it. That, yeah. I mean, she tried to like put some like you hope that everybody sees this. That both parents were at the school. Both parents knew. Both parents participated in getting him the gun, but there was just something so. There was just – the vibes around her trial were just, like, a little bit weird. Yeah. Like, that she is the sole person who should have known. Also, like, a lot of the facts around the case, like, she was having an affair and they went into details that it was, like, happening in a Costco parking lot. I mean, I just felt like I don't want the jurors or the people who participate in the next trial to sort of feel like, well, there was justice. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, someone someone has been held accountable. Yeah. Um, I when, mean, they had they had the sexism card to play or not play, and they played it. 
They played and, it. And, like, she definitely—I I feel as though she definitely deserves—is culpable for what happened. And I don't ob- object to the conviction based on what I know. Totally. But I also can acknowledge that even though that happened, even though I think that the end result was what should have happened, I think that they did play the sexism card. And that's, you know— I don't know. I guess we're going to learn some weird, gross stuff about the dad during the trial, too. Probably. upcoming. But precedent-setting. So maybe uh, from here forward, when parents are brought in and told that their children are behaving um, eerily in school, parents will remember to mention that there are guns at home. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty important thing. And if there are guns at home, uh, secure them. In Lock a way. them up. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. Next story, uh, we've got more uh, updates in a post-Roe world. So there was a news story in the Texas Observer this week that noted that the Texas teen birth rate rose for the first time in 15 years in 2022 after Texas instituted its abortion ban and uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. The shift was driven disproportionately by high rates among Hispanic teens in the year after the abortion ban took effect. So... Basically, the Texas birth rate rose overall Mm -hmm. because of really steep rises among disenfranchised groups. Um, And a lot of people, you know, what I've seen is is a lot of people saying, like, well, this was what was supposed to happen with the law. But, like, Alyssa, what do you make of this new information? The the birth rate rose, like, 2% in the state of Texas. What do you make of this new information? It feels a lot like the things that we thought were probably going to happen happen that wealthy people who need abortions will get them. Mm-hmm. And I it's mean, not ju- it's not just wealthy people. Here's the thing. Like, before Roe v. Wade fell, something right. like 20% of pregnancies in Texas ended in abortion. 20%. So if Texas's abortion ban was effective, was, like, very, very, very effective at preventing women in Texas from having abortions, the birth rate would have risen by more than 2%. Totally. So it's not just wealthy women that are traveling out of state. It is all but the most disenfranchised women. Like That is a, be- middle, that is a much better way to frame like it. Like, middle-class women. People are figuring out a way. The The abortion ban is, like, it's not like, eh, fine, whatever. People are having abortions anyway. That's, that's not the takeaway that I'm having here. It is that people are— it is both ineffective because people are still having abortions, yep. and but they're just doing it at much greater of a cost. Uh, it takes more time. It causes more pain, probably physical and mental anguish. Um, but they're still getting abortions. It's just making it worse for literally everybody, especially the teens who are now being forced to give birth to babies that they maybe don't want to have. Do you think— that any of those politicians care? Well, you know what? It is part partly their job to care, right? So it they're is. they're making policies that push women and girls, let's they're girls. Totally. Push, pushes girls who are already disenfranchised uh, into going through birth, which is like a form of state-sanctioned torture, in my opinion. Um, and then those babies are being born into a system where they're going to be more likely to need government services because right. they were born to girls. They were born to children. So what these policies are doing long term is to force women who are more likely to need government services deeper into poverty and to create more people because they're being born behind the eight ball who are going to need more. It is it is a it, it's an inefficient 
law that just like increases squalor. Like that's that's what it does. It's, it's cruel. The, the the cruelty has always been the point. Yeah, but I mean, from a, a purely crass like fiscal point of view, it is also like inefficient and expensive, right? Yeah. Like, don't you? I mean, I I feel like I hear a lot of these people saying things. It's like, like well, keeping people in prison forever is yeah. inefficient and expensive. Right, right. It's like don't have, people say like don't have kids if you can't afford them. Well. That like make th- that possible. Yeah, make it like. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it it's it's really really stupid and short sighted. And while it has increased the birth rate in Texas, it has not prevented the vast majority of people who want to have abortions to get the abortions that they need. It has just increased the number of childbirths. So congratulations, Greg Abbott. He's the you, fucking worst. You did it. He's the Ugh. worst. Um, what's going on with the fight to keep mifepristone legal? Oh, Aaron, when are they going to stop with this? Uh, Well, luckily, we have the Reproductive Freedom Alliance, which is a nonpartisan group of 22 governors who are committed to protecting and expanding reproductive freedom, the UCLA Law Center on Reproductive Health Law and Policy, and the law firm of Paul Weiss. Uh, They filed an amicus brief on the 30th of January on behalf of over 300 leading reproductive health researchers from the U.S. and worldwide, urging the Supreme Court to reverse an appellate ruling in the case— this is so unbelievable. In the case of Food and Drug Administration et al. versus the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, arguing that if the court allows a recent Fifth Circuit decision to stand, it could undermine the governor's ability to provide adequate health care services and would have far-reaching implications beyond reproductive health care. So, Aaron, here is the thing about this. The lawsuit threatens to upend the FDA review process, which, by the way, the FDA established in 19. 19- Oh, six. Hmm. 1906. Suddenly we have beef with the FDA for, well, for this. Uh, we have been relying on the FDA, which was established to prevent the, quote, manufacture, sale, or transportation of adulterated or misbranded, poisonous, or deleterious foods, drugs, and medications. Erin, that seems fairly fucking straightforward to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And what Republicans are saying now or anti-abortion activists, whatever we want to call them, that Mm -hmm. like suddenly we can't trust the FDA, Mm -hmm. even though mifeprestone is regarded as as safe or more safe than Tylenol. It's just that they don't like it, Aaron. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mifeprestone is used in more than half of all abortions and limiting its availability would have a hugely disruptive impact to the state healthcare systems, to uh, providers, and it would pose serious health risks to millions of women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just pulled up some numbers, and uh, I found that as of June 2021, so these are these numbers are a couple years old, but out of the 4.9 million women who have taken Mifeprestone mm-hmm. since it's been legalized, since it's been legalized, so, mm-hmm. you know, this is talking a long a time. A while. 26 women have died total. Now, napkin math, don't really have time for it, but I'm just going to give you the maternal mortality rate in the mm-hmm. U.S. In, and? Tw- in 2021, it was 32.9 deaths per 100,000 live births. Huh. Um, yeah. So, seems. So, there's a lot. Birth is <laughs> comically more dangerous and deadly. If if we're allowing mifepristone because it's dangerous, 
Um, then we should outlaw birth because it is many Absolutely. times more dangerous. No birth, too dangerous. Women are dying. And Erin, um, when you think about it, when you're watching TV or you see an ad on television for almost any FDA-approved medication, the possible risks and side effects are like blood clots. Like there are so many side effects to the medications that are approved. It's like when you start watching them, you're like, my God, why would I ever take this? <laughs> the like ones, heart medication, cholesterol medication. The it's ones like, for like plaque psoriasis that are like oh my injectable, God. but you might die if someone sneezes on you. But you, you won't have itchy skin anymore, but you might die if someone sneezes on you. But you might die. Or like my favorite disclaimer, and don't take it if you're allergic to it. But like- How would I know? How would I know? I, took it. Yeah. So it feels like there are a gazillion more drugs and we are all uh, adults who go to doctors and we are prescribed things and we have conversations and we make the decision because there are risk factors to almost anything. This is regarded as so fucking safe and like ideological extremists are just like, yeah, but we don't like it. So we want to just like fuck the FDA. Yeah. It's the dumbest, most selfish. I it's just it's it's beyond it is it is so infuriating. I I feel like there have been a few there are a few times where I'm like, wow, the judicial system is way out of its lane. Um and one of them is when they try to make like rulings around art. You read yeah. stuff where it's <laughs> like, you do not know what you're talking about here. Like if you were in a, like an art history class, you would get laughed out of the room. <laughs> like Judge Scalia, like whatever. Um, but also another one is like science. I, I feel yeah. like people do not learn about science in law school. And when they're trying to make rules about abortion, um, their lack of knowledge is like very clear. And in yeah. some cases, I feel like a deliberate ig like ignorance or like a willful ignorance of like the science behind things. Because in order for the Fifth Circuit to come up with the ruling it came up with, there had to be a willful ignorance of established science. Right. Um, which our Supreme Court has shown that it, it doesn't really care about. doesn't really care about science, just cares about law. Then if stop making laws about science then. Anyway. Um, all right. Uh, let's move on to Florida. We talked about Florida a couple weeks ago. Florida's latest state to attempt to protect abortion via public referendum, which would add a constitutional amendment to the state's constitution. So far, they've gotten all the signatures they need, and all they need to do is go before the state Supreme Court and argue that the language in the amendment is not too vague. Now, right. they're, they're kind of up against it. They're, the arguments are being heard on Wednesday, so I believe that um, when you— when this episode is relief, uh, released, we'll know more. Um, they're kind of up against it. The Florida State Supreme Court is conservative, like, by mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, the people in favor of the abortion amendment being on the, the ballot have argued that they're not supposed to be deciding whether or not the abortion amendment should right. be voted in or out by voters or whether or not they support the issue underlying the amendment. They're supposed to just be voting on the language. Let's see if they can actually do it. But by uh, press time, we'll say, we'll probably know whether or not abortion is going to be literally on the ballot in Florida in November. Aaron, and you know what's so crazy about this? Like, fundamentally, I, we've probably said it a million times, fundamentally, Republicans are just showing they do not care what voters want. 
No. Do not care. This is popular among Republicans in Florida. Um, everything they're trying to do is trying to disenfranchise the people who have actually voted for them. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, yes, a majority? Actually, no. Maybe let's make it 66.6% that this would have to pass by. It is, it is for a bunch of people who stormed the Capitol— I'm just, they're like, if you are a party to a group that are like, the election was stolen, you didn't hear us. And then you're like, actually, we're never going to hear other, we're going to pay no attention to the people who voted for us either. Like, who do they represent? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. And I think they know deep down inside that they're outnumbered. I think they know that they're, yeah. I mean. Their desperation. Of, yes, yes. Uh, speaks. <laughs> their cornered animal behavior. But the a thing that really scares me about this is that there have been so Voters have made it so clear that they support abortion rights and they are uncomfortable with the government interfering in private medical decisions. Um, It's so clear that I'm worried that the more militant parts of the anti-choice movement are going to start acting like how they acted in the 90s again. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they can't win this in the ballot box. They can't. And I am— yeah. It, I, look, I, I hate to be all doom and gloom, but I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried. I mean, well, you know, Aaron, I think we've also talked about this, that of all of the fringe groups in the 90s that threatened and bombed and committed violence against abortion centers, never classified as domestic terrorists. No. Uh, and yeah, what were we focusing on? We were focusing on Arab Americans. That's what we right. were focusing on. Yeah. Yeah. Great job, law enforcement. Great job. Anyway, that's why we did, that's why 9/11 didn't happen because they were successful at preventing terrorism based out of Right. Yep. And uh, also they they stopped all the violence against abortion providers. Anyway. So, let's talk a little bit about uh, South Dakota, a state that a lot of us forget about because it's the worst, um, one of the worst states in the US. Um, South Dakota government Christy Nome is trying so hard to be Donald Trump's running mate. Like, she is so horny to be his vice president. She can't stop herself. She, it's like, girl, you're you're telling on yourself. She's Tracy flicking so hard. She is pick me. She is pick. She is a VP pick me, and the effort is embarrassing to watch from outside. I feel like I'm watching RuPaul's Drag Race competition where she's like, <laughs> lip, like all the VP candidates are like lip syncing for their lives, and I'm sort of like, oh, I don't. Who like, do you think? Who do you think is the horniest to be his VP? Do you think it's Christy Nome and like Stephonic. Stephonic. Oh yeah, Alicia. Stephonic. And you know it's not. I mean, look, uh, if if I'm wrong, I will admit that I am wrong, but I it's not going to be her. I think Christy Nome is more likely to be picked than Elise Stefanik because Donald yeah. Trump likes women who look like they're in beauty pageants. That, uh, that. Absolutely. And that is nothing. Uh, that is Elise Stefanik. We are not commenting on your appearance. We're just saying that based on who Donald Trump marries and what yep. he likes about his daughter. <laughs> yep. Um, so Christy Nome, uh, the VP wannabe, um, is now banned from the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota after she expressed them. anti-immigrant and racist sentiments regarding the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, she specifically said that she wanted to, quote, send razor wire and security personnel to Texas to prevent immigrants from crossing the border. Texas, by the way, a very long way from South Dakota. Uh, I would not recommend making that drive. It is a ve- through the most square... terrified states in the country and don't do it. But yeah, I I, I don't know why someone from South Dakota is so keen on defending 
the southern border of the U.S. Literally one of the most landlocked states on Earth. The, the inferior Dakota. Sharing a border with nobody. <laughs> Sharing a border with no international borders whatsoever. Nothing. Um, yeah. I mean, if I were the governor of, of South Dakota, I would be more focused in making people not want to escape my state um, by increasing yeah. economic opportunity. Also, if we're going to, like, dunk on South Dakota, I got to say, we should be giving about, like, the the western half of it back to the Native Americans because what white people have done with it is turn the Black Hills into a, a souvenir stand that sells bedazzled T-shirts <laughs> with racist slogans on it. It's taken some of America's most— like pristine natural beauty and just shit on it. And R- Mount Rushmore sucks. We should give it back to the tribes and let them turn it back into the mountain that it was before because it's I, uglier I now. I agree. I it's, agree. It's uglier now. Give it back. Give it back. And yeah, South, sorry. You know, if you, South Dakota is so bad that even Tommy Lauren had to leave. That's where she's from. And she was, I had no idea. Yeah. She well, left. Well, Tommy. Yeah. Maybe she just didn't want to compete with Christy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so I, congratulations to the Aglala tribe of Sioux. Uh, you guys did the right thing. We're behind you. Ban her from yeah, everywhere. Yeah, we agree. Ban we her. Agree. Uh, one more piece of news. This is international in nature. It is. Aaron, the king, the king of England has cancer. We have no idea what kind. Um, he is receiving treatment for it. He It was discovered. Now, here is why I find this story somewhat interesting. Because, like, you assume that there are certain people on the planet who are just covered. Do you know what I mean? Like, by the medical profession. Like, mm-hmm. like he went in for prostate cancer to be treated for an enlarged prostate and came out with a different kind of cancer that was up to that point totally undetected, right? So yeah. that that gives me some pause. I will say the the other thing that's a little weird is that Princess Kate is recovering from an undisclosed procedure that will keep her like off the grid for several months. Um Princess Fergie was diagnosed with breast cancer a couple months ago and now skin cancer. So I'm saying the royal the royals are like an unwell bunch yeah. right now. Yeah, I would say that there are probably some genetic reasons that I okay, when I was researching this, I was like pause for Aaron to make joke about them being inbred. <laughs> I just said genetic reasons. You are the one that inferred. I'm just, You're I'm the just one saying. that inferred. I I look I think the monarchy is stupid. I am, uh, I, I, as a, you know, as a human being, I don't really want to cheerlead other human suffering. Um, of course. Unless it's in a, like, it's like a select few people that if something bad happens to them or if I see their name trending on Twitter, I'm like, oh, are they dying? Are they dying? Oh. Like, and I'll admit to that ugly part of my personality and my mind. I'm not going to say who those people are, but I'm sure people who know me well can Figure out. I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Who those people are, right? Um, I, you know, but at the same time, I think the monarchy is stupid. It wastes a ton of taxpayer money. I think King Charles' coronation costs $100 million mm. uh, of taxpayer money. They mm. are like massive property owners in the UK, a country that has a lot of problems. I think if any of our listeners are interested in hearing this talked about more in depth by people who are 
more involved. Uh, oh, Pod, yeah. Pod, Pod Save, Save the, the UK. UK. Great source. Um, but I just, I feel like as an outsider, the monarchy is stupid and they should get rid of it. And it should not be something that taxpayers in the UK have to pay for. Like the NHS needs, needs that money. Give it to the NHS so people have health care. It's so dumb to have like a man in a dress get a crown put on his head and then, oh, magic. Like it's so stupid. I'm sorry. It's so stupid. It's No, like if- it's, I'm not disagreeing. The only upside I see here is that I do think that they should just finally let princesses Beatrice and Eugenie like out there. I feel like they're the coolest of all the royals. Mm-hmm. And like just like put, put let's call them on deck. It's time. Mm-hmm. It's time. Let them out there. Let them do their things. They're like normal. They have like rescue pets. I just feel like they're a better representation of the monarchy. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, if for whatever reason there has to be some sort of succession where Prince William becomes King William sooner than everybody thought that he would be, I think that the smart move would be to like have a very understated coronation. Like, I feel like that's where they would go. They do seem, the two of them do seem much more like... You know, Prince Charles has been waiting for this to become king literally his whole life. I don't think that William, having grown up the way he did and seeing all the pitfalls, would be that ostentatious. But it's not like we're friends, so I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you're—if you were friends with Prince William and you had not told me up until this point, I would— be a little it, bit like I would. Don't be you worry. I could I'd never keep that from you. I, I could be, never keep that from would, you. Yeah, I think I'd be a little bit hurt. Let's move on to does this stupid bullshit matter? Uh, I would say the monarchy is stupid bullshit adjacent, only yeah, because sure. I don't live in the UK. But this falls like solidly into the category of stupid bullshit. Okay, Representative Matt Gates of Florida and Elise Stefanik of New York, the aforementioned Representative Stefanik, who really, really, really wants to be the vice presidential nominee alongside Donald Trump, unveiled a resolution Tuesday that declares former President Trump, quote, did not engage in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. It's a one-page resolution. It has more than 60 GOP co-sponsors. Um, it's it's just, it's like, I don't know, it's like skywriting. It doesn't mean anything. The it's- thing about it is that she is actually functionally a much smarter person than this. That is what makes it so gross. She, Mm -hmm. unlike Matt Gaetz, I actually, I mean, I think that she's been corrupted by Trump, but like prior to this, she was a much smarter person than this. I don't think that Matt Gaetz ever was. And she will do, this is just like such an example of like, she'll do anything to be like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look Mm -hmm. at me. You can mispronounce my name, President Trump, and I will still I will still unveil a resolution that says we did nothing wrong. It's it's a debasement bee. That's the thing. It's like yeah. everybody is trying to debase themselves the most. And and like my Kevin was one of your coworkers, guys. <laughs> you saw what happened to my Kevin. My Kevin has now been reduced to like uh, like gr- groveling like on the, the the sidelines and plotting his revenge and sending like. Did you read so there's an article in political the political? I did. Like, Kevin McCarthy's got a revenge list and he's going after these guys. It's like, this is the like wimpiest, weeniest course of action. Um, but I will say that Nancy Mace was on top of that revenge list, according to the Politico article. And then a few oh, days later, yeah. some unflattering stories started coming out about South Carolina Representative Nancy Mace, who uh, once one of Kevin's friends and now is is not anymore. So I don't know if the revenge of Kevin is going to play out. But anyway, 
what happened to Kevin McCarthy is literally what happens to 99.9% of people who line up alongside Donald Trump, who humiliate themselves for Donald Trump, who say whatever they need to say to fall into his graces. And, like, it reminds me a little bit of a person who starts dating somebody who is cheating on their spouse and expects their spouse to leave for them and then expects them to be the last person who, you know, to not get cheated on. You know, it's like, oh, Oh, well. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like this person, or marrying Donald Trump, if you will. You marry him (laughs) and you're like, well, he did cheat on both of his other wives, but it won't happen to me. I'm the exception to the rule. And it's just a sort of magical thinking that that I am— it's beyond my pay grade to, social, to psychoanalyze, but um, I'm curious what goes on in the minds of these people. Do they think they'll be the only ones that get away? Yes, they do. They do because he tells them that and they believe him. And then he's like, I don't even remember Kevin McCarthy's name. <laughs> Kevin who? Alyssa, does this stupid bullshit matter? Does Elise Stefanik and the insurrection resolution matter? No, I mean, they do and they don't. I think they do because they show us exactly the moral character of these people. Now, is Mm -hmm. it surprising to us? No. Um, None of this is surprising. But, yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't say it's impactful, but I say it's worth noting. How about that? Okay. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Next item of stupid bullshit. Nikki Haley made a surprise appearance during the SNL cold open just days before losing to none of these candidates in the Nevada <laughs> <of them>. primary. <laughs> by so, 60%. By 60%. So um, I'm just going to say if SNL is going to feature a candidate that's that minor and that hobbled, in their, they're going to make space for her. Uh, where's fucking Marianne Williamson? Bring out Marianne Williamson. Bring Mary, at least, I think Marianne would actually perform better on SNL. Marianne Williamson, look, she kooky? Yes, absolutely. But like, let me, like, bring her to SNL and let her burn some sage on stage. Like, let us get into it. I think at this point, Marianne Williamson has as much of a chance of becoming president as Nikki Haley does. And the fact that SNL, like, I mean, I think there were cast members who were kind of pissed that she was on. Like, Bowen Yang's social media indicated that he was less than happy. Who I can imagine. Um, So, yeah, I I guess that's just sort of what happens when you have, like, a a boomer running a sketch comedy show. Well, and, I mean, it's not like, you know, like, if you go back, I mean, I, I was trying to think. I couldn't remember the last sketch, the last sketch that a presidential candidate went on for. Like, I know Hillary did at some point, but I was, like, trying to think. But no one had ever been on to clean up slavery remarks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why did, why did she thing. get that chance? Like, other people come on to show they have a personality, to show they can make fun of themselves. Like, like I remember when John Kerry, when I worked for John Kerry, and they went, and the whole point was, like, whether he was aloof and, and Mrs. Hines Kerry. Like, it was funny. It wasn't, like— so I should have said the Civil War had to do with slavery, and I didn't. And I mean, it's just it's it's real apples and oranges in my in my opinion. Yeah, um, I mean, and there was also when Janet Reno, the real Janet Reno, went on SNL and confronted oh yeah, fake Janet Reno, and that was funny. That's funny. Yeah, I don't know why we, they gave Nikki Haley the chance to just go out and be like, "Whoopsie daisies." Yeah, yikes, zoink, mm-hmm. Scoob should have gotten that right. <laughs> like, okay. Does this stupid bullshit matter? Does it matter that Nikki Haley was on SNL? No. No. Yeah. I think that if she were surging in the polls and really making a, a case for herself, 
But she just, I mean, it was a bad call by SNL. She just fades. I mean, in theory, the whole point of, like, on a campaign of doing, like, a late-night show or doing an SNL is to is to show to people who might not be tuned into politics what kind of appeal you may have, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, that, none of that was this. <laughs> yeah. It was a weird sketch, too. It also, like, it, it depended. So it's supposed to be introducing people to a candidate they're not that familiar with, but it depended yeah. on the audience being familiar enough to know that she said that dumb thing about slavery. Exactly. So like, it who, didn't work. Yeah, it didn't It didn't work. Um, yeah, okay. Final item of stupid bullshit. Taylor Swift has demanded that a 21-year-old <laughs> stop tracking her private jet. Uh, the pop star's lawyers claim it puts her safety at risk, even as her globetrotting is raising issues about carbon emissions. What do you make of this? There, there's like a Reddit community that tra- that tracks her jet. There's like, you can find all of like Listen, everything out about her jet. I mean, going all the way back to 2004, reporters knew how to track private planes. Like, you want to figure out who John Kerry's uh, vetting to be vice president? Track the planes. Now, here's the thing. There are ways to do it that are a little cagier when you're flying, um, which I guess she's not doing. But, like, you have a private plane. That's just the way it is. Like, Mm -hmm. I could care less about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also think, like, this is a little bit of a Streisand effect situation. Like, maybe don't make this a headline. I mean, somebody's already tracking your jet and, like, there's a community focused right. on commenting about it like now we, you've got us and got that now we're involved right and now like in the run-up to the super bowl you are getting it like tied into all the super bowl coverage about taylor and travis and the chiefs and you know the 49ers and blah 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 and now it's like wh- why would you choose this moment to make it something that is more widely known by getting in a fight with this person yeah this, I don't this know. stupid bullshit matters because a it's bad strategy Publicity-wise, I agree with that. Agree with that. Uncharacteristically bad for Taylor Swift because she's usually really good at PR. Um, And also, it's an it is it does matter because celebrities do waste a ton of resources flying around on private jets. So they do. Here's here's the other thing. Just in terms of like sometimes Taylor's judgment is not always ten out of ten. Just need to go back to the Grammys this week when she was presented her award by Celine Dion, who we have not seen in. Forever, an American, a Canadian, a global treasure. I don't care who you are. You genuflect when you get up on that stage. I don't care if you saw each other backstage. I don't give a shit. I want to see you pay respect to Celine Dion in front of me, a woman with stiff man syndrome who is like (laughs) literally, literally such a fucking treasure, such a kind person. And instead it was like Taylor almost like elbowed her out of the way so she could like do her pre-rehearsed I'm dropping my new album thing. And like I'm not, I, I like Taylor's music very much, but I thought this was not her best week. Let's put it that way. No, it was not her best week. And look, culturally, America loves throwing a virgin into the volcano. And by that, I mean elevating a female star to the point of almost goddess status and then tearing her down. Like, we we did it to Jennifer Lawrence. We do it to to everybody, and it fucking sucks. And I don't want to see that happen to Taylor Swift because— I think that there's a way to, like, engage critically in her cultural impact. Yeah. And also not shit on her or say, no, she's all entirely bad. But, yeah, that was a little bit of a faux pas. I'm gonna go yes, it just felt, it felt a little like, come on. Yeah. All right. That's all the time we have for news today. Does this mm. stupid bullshit doesn't really matter? Kind of matters? It, like, you know, 
There's a pendulum, Erin. <laughs> we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, my interview with author Kat Bohannon. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, mean, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have. To, I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, it's like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can 
wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. It's perfect. He is, like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just, like, beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're— they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, Ugh. Um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who know why men have nipples and will gladly volunteer this information at a work function. Our guest today is a writer and researcher with a Ph.D. from Columbia University and a New York Times bestselling book called Eve, How the Female Body Drove 200 Million Years of Human Evolution, which I just read and absolutely loved. Capo Hannon, oh, thank you. welcome to Hysteria. Thanks for the compliment. I like those. It was fascinating book. And it was one of those books that as I was reading it, I kept yelling to my husband, hey, did you know that we grew nipples? Because like he, yeah, he was really like, thank He was like, what about my nip though? And are, about, <laughs> are you about to do something fun? Because I could be down with that, but I can't tell if that's the moment right now. Right, yeah. right. What's the vibe? What's going on? Um, Kat, what prompted you to write this book? I understand the project took years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a decade in my life. This book is like crawling inside my head in my 30s, which is a weird place to be in any American woman's head, right? <laughs> like in our 30s? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I was already doing a PhD at Columbia University in a semi-related topic. Not really. Evolution of narrative cognition. I was into I was into brains. I was into brains in a like professional way. Um, but in this case, it was because I learned about the male norm that mostly were studying male bodies in biology and biomedical science. And I was like, 
well, that's some crap. Uh, and then I also realized the more I read around that just nobody was telling the chick side of the story in human evolution. Um, all the way down into hominins and early mammals, it's like, oh, we've just left out half of all mammals. Maybe we should rectify that. Mm-hmm. What's the most surprising thing you learned about the female mammalian body while you were researching this book? The least surprising thing I found out is that we are absolute crap at making babies. Um, the most surprising thing I found out um, is probably that the male human penis is boring. And then there's a lot in between there of information. So what you want? Uh, let's talk about the boring penis. Boring penis. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So um, one question I got asked a lot working on the book uh, was what our basic human mating strategy might be. You know, were we like King Solomon and his wives, one guy, a lot of chicks? Were we like the chimps, which is just having sex with anybody slash everything, just, just all the sex all the time, which is kind of chimp life? Or were we kind of like wolves, where we're kind of a monogamous band with a bunch of kids following us around and they kind of break off and form their own packs sometimes, right? And the best way to know that isn't by looking at human history, it's by looking at our bodies, you know, because our bodies actually tell the story of deep time better than just what we happen to be doing in the last few thousand years. And one of the big parts of that story is the penis. The human penis uh, is actually really, really kind of dull compared to many other species. Um, one of the main ways that it's dull is it's just a straightforward shaft. And our vag is likewise a simple, straightforward complex, which weirdly indicates that maybe we weren't all that rapey just in deep time. There's mm -hmm. a lot of rape that happens now, and it's terrible, and we need to do better by everybody, okay? We live in rape culture. Let's fix it. Mm -hmm. But in deep time, over millions of years, other species that have um, a lot of sexual coercion, that's the technical term, a lot of rape going on as part of their mating strategy, um, tend to have a really complicated vagina and penis, like the duck. Have you ever seen a mallard duck, the green-headed guys? Mm -hmm. They're kind of like in every artificial pond sure. in American suburbs. My dad yeah. used to hunt them, so yeah, got it. Oh, you know, I'm kind of on his side right now, a little bit. <laughs> Same. So, After reading your book, I was like, oh, I my know, God. I know. Ruining ducks everywhere. We need to eat all of them. I know. I don't know if the mallard's delicious or not. It eats a lot of human garbage. Yeah, um, gamey. But it could be. It's gamey. I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, yeah gamey. Gamey. Yeah, you can, mm, you can sorry put, about it, that. put it in a stew with a lot of, like, carrots and potatoes, and it's edible, but, like, barely. I have a whole new insight into you because you're eating a lot of, like, mallard duck stew as a child now, <laughs> and that's saying a lot about this moment in your life. <laughs> totally. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the thing about the mallard duck penis um, that now everyone shall know is that is a kind of corkscrew structure that literally explodes out of its cloaca, kind of like a like a party favor. You know, you blow it one end and just kind of unravels into a corkscrew. So that's how he gets an erection. Cool. Meanwhile, they're really into gang rape. Terrible trigger warning. Sorry. Um, and females, unfortunately, because this has been so true for so long, have evolved a vagina that competes with that to support her reproductive choice. She is a kind of labyrinth-like corkscrew vag structure that has little trap doors that trap pockets of unwanted sperm kind of to the side. And when she's finally left alone, she opens it up and expels the stuff like, get the hell out, unwanted sperm. You'll even see her sometimes pecking at her nether bits, like, get out of there. Mm -hmm. But with a guy she wants, with a male she wants to fertilize her egg, somehow she unravels this kind of of gross, kind of beautiful vag situation down there, lets that corkscrew through, and the majority of her offspring 
are fertilized by the guy she wants. Mm -hmm. Now, think back to us. We don't have anything like that. Actually, rape stats for pregnancy are no different than desired sex, actually. We Mm -hmm. have absolutely no way to shut that whole thing down. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Probably because we didn't evolve in a scenario in which this is the normal thing that guys did. Right. Mm. If the majority of males were doing this in our body's evolution, we would have evolved counter strategies. We didn't. So that means that actually this was not the normal way of going about making babies. Hmm. So that whole thing that you kind of see in the manosphere or, you know, whatever, dragging a caveman, dragging a cavewoman into a cave probably was not a part of our history because it's not written in our biology. Absolutely not. That's not the story our bodies tell at all. Also true. Male humans are not actually that much bigger than female humans. Like, we're just, they're just not. Chimps are way bigger than chimp females. Gorillas, oh my God, there's just a whole lot of guy there, and she's kind of teeny tiny. But us, actually, it's a pretty small physical difference, which is to say, um, we can do a lot of damage, Hmm. okay? Not just with the bitey, bitey teeth thing. It's like we got a lot of weaponry. Um, So in our ancient state, when we're all pretty muscular, it's not actually a great idea to try to take on a female that doesn't want you around. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Let's talk about how bad we are at giving birth. You said that was the least surprising thing that you kind of already knew. What did you learn additionally about why we're so bad at it and why being pregnant is the worst? So being pregnant is the worst, giving birth is the worst, postpartum is the worst. This is actually the worst. I think we can say this and support the magical strength of the human body without calling a vag a yoni. Like, I think we can actually admit that this is terrible, this is a flaming garbage pile, and admit that actually biology supports that statement, right? So, okay, we have terrible pregnancies. It's not just in your head, ladies, if you've ever been pregnant. No, 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 no. Like, we are... Pregnancies and births and postpartum recoveries are longer and harder and more prone to dangerous, murdery complications for mother and offspring than they are for most other primates, except for like a squirrel monkey, and we feel bad for her. But like compared to most mammals, we suck at this. Now, don't go on the internet and look up what hyenas have to do. That's also terrible. But again, for us, for our evolution, This is bad. There are two reasons why it's bad. One, we have a really small pelvic opening compared to the size of our babies. Okay? We're trying to fit a watermelon thing out of a lemon-sized hole. So if you've met fruit, it's not It's not good. It's not a good situation, <laughs> right? So that's called the obstetric dilemma. Um, and we know that we have had that for about 3.2 million years since Lucy. Furry little chick, Australopithecine, she had the same problem we do. Giant babies, little hole. She had a midwife just like we do, right? So the history of hmm. gynecology is 3.2 million years old, right? Um, mm-hmm. The other problem is that we have this crazy super invasive placenta. That's the kind of wet, gross docking station where your umbilical cord like connects to the uterus. The placenta is like a unique organ because it is, it's invasive. Oh, yeah. And and, and in, in what way does that invasion into our bodies like impact our overall well-being as uh, pregnant people? Ooh, so um, I think the way I describe it in the book, uh, the best way to think about a human fetus is a blood-sucking demon fetus. It's just like incredibly invasive, right? Now, there are different species that have different type of placentas, right? Like most of us have kind of shallow affairs that just kind of pop off when it's time to give birth, just like a little disc, like not a big deal. But there are some species like us that have maternal and 
uh, embryonic blood vessels all intertwined, all freaking tangled up. Their uh, placenta actually invades the mother's bloodstream in a really deep, exactly as worrying as it sounds kind of way. And what that means is um, we have a really metabolically costly pregnancy that has long evolved to kind of hoover up as many resources as it can from the maternal body. Meanwhile, you have a maternal body that has long evolved to stay alive, just stay alive as much as it can, right? Which means they're actually (laughs) in conflict. One body Mm -hmm. of resources in the maternal body two bodies trying to access those resources and stay alive, right? So there's actually more of like a trench warfare in a pregnancy like that. It's more of a detente that lasts about nine months, and you don't want either side to win too much, and hopefully it all ends without too much blood and tears. Like, that's that's actually our pregnancy. The knock-on effects of it, though— Oh, God, it's hard to even know how to bound that, like, scientifically, metaphorically. Like, it affects our immune system because it has to downregulate our immune system so that the uterus doesn't react in the normal way, which is like, oh, God, this is cancer. Get it out of me, right? That would be the normal way if a uterus could talk, right? So you had to turn down that <laughs> dial and say, okay, this is not cancer for now. For now, not cancer. Accept this for now, Mm -hmm. right? But it also has to, like, affect our blood pressure, and it affects our bodies, actually, from the moment we're born. It's not like it's our destiny as a female person to be pregnant, but we've long evolved with these dangerous pregnancies, so that means we have fail-safes. We have things our bodies build our whole lifetimes to just survive it. Mm-hmm. And speaking of fail-safes, I learned a lot about periods from your book. Oh, yeah. Cheers. Um, yeah. I, I remember being a little girl and being told, like, your body makes your uterus into essentially like a nice little pillow. Oh, yeah. To welcome so the little—yeah, welcome a little—it's like a little bed for the zygote to just, like, cuddle up in and—or blastocyst and then implant in the in the uterine wall. But that's not the case at all. What What is a period actually— So we think about periods as the stuff we can see, which is this admittedly not very attractive material that comes out of the vag at a certain periodicity. A certain rate, we're going to just have things come out the vag that are bloody and have some tissue and mucus, and we're like, cool, I guess that's just normal. But it's not the coming out of the vag part that's really interesting biologically. Um, It just turns out to be more like metabolically efficient to just get rid of it rather than reabsorb it. Some other species just reabsorb it. All mammals have an estrous cycle. All mammals will build up their uterine lining for one reason or another. What's unusual about us as a species and a few other species that menstruate the way we do, is that we start building up our lining before we even get a signal from like a fertilized egg rolling down the tube. In other words, Mm -hmm. we start getting ready, building up that uterine lining before we even need it. And why? Because it's a trench. It's It's a warfare. It's a buffer, okay? Because if we didn't do that, that incredibly invasive placenta that, if there is a fertilized egg, is gonna build in there, is gonna just wreck all kinds of havoc. And you don't want that. You don't want that. It's a self-protective measure. In other words, the re- the reason we have periods is because our bodies have evolved to try to survive our terrible pregnancies. And other species that have periods the way we do, this technical term is spontaneous deciduation, but unless you're an academic, that's not going to come up. When you're drunk, that's that's going to get real slurred, just call periods, right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. is because our placentas are really invasive, 
which is exactly Mm. part of why our pregnancies and our births and recoveries are so dangerous. Because if you're not just popping off a shallow thing, if you're detaching this deeply embedded, deeply enmeshed thing from the wall of your Mm -hmm. uterus, well, that's a lot of tearing. And of course, one of the big threats is just bleeding, just maternal bleeding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really uh, metal. I I found pregnancy is incredibly metal and birth is incredibly metal. Mm -hmm. In the book, you... You ha- you put forth this really interesting theory that civilization was enabled by a collective effort to make birth more survivable, a.k.a. gynecology. Can you kind of go into that theory? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so think for a second like an evolutionary biologist, right? If a sp- There are some problems that aren't that big a deal in a body plan, and then there are some problems which are called a hard problem right? So being bad at making babies, like having a terrible survival rate, which actually in our non-gynecological state we do, uh, is a hard problem. Like you can limp around on one foot, you can have a weird set of eyes, you can like have a lot of snot for some reason. But if you can't regularly make babies without both maternal body and infant body surviving at a respectable rate, well, you're heading for extinction. Or a weird little, like, ecological pocket that eventually goes extinct when enough about the world changes that it doesn't support that crazy thing you're doing anymore, right? So if that was our situation in our ancestral state, if that's what Lucy had to deal with, we don't know exactly when our placentas became terrible, but we do know when the pelvic opening became terrible. That was about 3.2 million years ago. But the bigger our babies became, more than likely the more invasive the placenta. So, you know, it follows, in other words. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's the sure. most important thing we had to solve, dude. Like, it wasn't that mm-hmm. we needed to invent fire. That didn't come online for another million years or two. Like, no, 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 no. What we needed to do is figure out how to survive this terror thing, right? That was our most important problem to solve. And we solved it by inventing gynecology. We solved it by helping a sister out, quite literally, sometimes a daughter, usually a sister, right? We figured it out by using every single bit of our hominin trait that we usually praise, how clever we are, how good at problem solving, how collaborative, how we worked around our murdery instincts by helping each other give birth. Right? Some of that is literally helping get the baby out. Some of it is actually making you less fertile at some periods of your life and more in others. Everything that falls under the umbrella of gynecology, including rudimentary birth control, helped more of us survive and thrive. Dude, and that's exactly why anti-choice politicians aren't trying to roll the back the clock back like 50 years. They're trying to roll it back 3.2 million. This is a big part of our success story because if giving birth is dangerous, then you want to do it under ideal conditions if you do it at all. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the patriarchy. Okay. Um, do you <laughs> do you think the patriarchy is natural given the way that given what you know about the history of our like biological bodies. Like, is it natural to live in a society that privileges the wants of men over the health of reproductive females and young? Let's break the question down a little bit. Now, that last part of your question, the is it fair, is it moral, in other words, yeah, no, obviously not. Obviously, the the ethical mm-hmm. thing is to is reduce the suffering smart? of all, right? Right. 
Right. Is it is it biologically smart? Right now it is not. Whether or not it was mm-hmm. like a million years ago or at some point along the evolutionary chain, maybe. But here's what I mean by that. Not for privileging the desires of males. No, 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 no. Um, but by doing everything you can to reduce the reproductive mayhem that is our body plan, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. So the big thing about our species is that we build up a bunch of behavioral workarounds. In other words, our bodies suck and we do things to overcome the deep innate suckage of our bodies. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and that's what tool use is. That's what deep society building is. That's what all of our behavior is about. Not just what we are, but what we do with what we are, right? So if gynecology is one side of a coin where we are using behavioral workarounds to build up medical knowledge over deep time, help each other give birth, maybe eventually, I guess, put a placenta in a pill. I don't know where to put that in the deep evolution, <laughs> you know, of like gynecology, but you're here. And we are part of the same species. And yeah, that's part of the story, apparently. Who knows if that's going to pan out in the long run. But like, that's part Uh of it. But in deep time, right? Millions of years. Well, the flip side of that behavioral coin is what I call in the book sex rules, or which is a subset of sexism. Right. Think about it again like a biologist and sort of this is a little bit of a bitter pill, but let's swallow it for a second. You know, the outcomes are good and ignore the matrix. All right. Okay. So... If you can fix your birth problems by helping each other give birth, you can also fix your birth problems by creating cultural rules around when and how males have access to female bodies. Every known human culture now and historically has sex rules which regulate access to female bodies. Where can she go in a given day? How much of her body can be seen? By whom? What she can do with that body? How she arrives at the moment of potentially sexy fun times? What does that sexy fun time involve? Does it involve the whole body, part of the body? We all have different rules around access to female bodies, every human culture. And they're often quite different. It's not even so simple as liberal versus conservative. Like if you look globally at all human cultures that we know anything about, we all have sex rules and we all feel strongly about them. We just have different rules right? Mm -hmm. But what those sex rules do from a biologist's point of view is it intervenes on her fertility, right? It creates Mm -hmm. behavioral rules that the culture strongly maintains and reinforces. Males and females alike, by the way. This is a biologist's answer to why are chicks so sexist and reinforce sexist rules. It's not just internalized Mm -hmm. sexism. It's a long chain of we're all culture makers and weirdly deeply part of culture and humanity is building sex rules, right? We can't help but feel Mm -hmm. strongly about them, but we're going to feel as strongly about our new feelings about being being poly, let's say, in a very small subset of human culture in mostly America, but a bit of Europe, uh, as we do about strong sexist rules that say chicks can't have sex unless it's a husband, right? But the thing mm-hmm. is, the thing is, is that if the ultimate goal then, again, thinking just like a biologist, if the ultimate effect is making more women and girls survive and thrive, people with ovaries, I mean, cis women and girls, Well, then gynecology is way better at that now, like so much better. We have vastly outpaced any usefulness, biologically speaking, of these sex rules with just having a good OBGYN and having decent birth control than we do in the vast majority of the sex rules. Uh, And the sex rules now 
actually kill a lot of women and girls and reduce their health overall. Hmm. So it seems sort of like patriarchy in terms of biology has overstayed its welcome, overstayed its usefulness in, in certain applications of patriarchy in the way that it it plays out on female bodies and reproduction. So, yes, I absolutely think that um, from a scientific point of view, a lot of the sexist rules around women and sexuality that's tied to what we usually call the patriarchy has long outstayed its wel- welcome, is definitely negatively impacting the health of, well, everybody at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on that note— um, you write about how contemporary sexist beliefs impacted research and discovery in history. Um, you're also you also mentioned that research around queer and non-binary and trans bodies mm-hmm. is limited because of gender roles kind of reaching their tentacles into everything. Yep. Have you noticed this changing for the better? Are we learning more about the bodies and the biology of people who don't fit into the male-female dichotomy? Yes, thank God, Um, or whatever you happen to believe in. I'm an atheist. But yes, 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 yes. I mean, it's slow going, okay? So one of the important things to assume is that given that uh, trans and non-binary folk are a percentage of the human population and presumably evenly distributed, why wouldn't they be? That's true of other sorts of queerity. Why wouldn't it be here, right? That any given set of research probably had some trans and non-binary folk in the closet in their subject pool, and that would have always been true. But the thing is, is that you can't analyze for difference if you don't know that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the tricky thing. So that means there's probably a lot that we could have known but didn't because of bigotry, right? Just because of bigotry, just that right there, making their lives terrible. It's also true that um, because female bodies were excluded in one way or another, both in rats and in human beings, in biology, because that was the cheap way of controlling for the messiness of the estrus cycle, uh, which I can get into, but I don't need to right now, right? In other words, just know that we were mostly studying male rats. It was just dicks all the way down and true in dogs and true in pig and true in human beings. That was the picture we were building until fairly recently, the last decade or two Mm -hmm. of research. That also means that like half of all mammals just weren't being looked at. And that was true in human beings too. I think the really awesome news is that now that we are becoming more very slowly, actually there's a lot of pushback, but we're working on it, tolerant of all different types of queerity, gender identity, and sexual orientation in our society. That means that we can ask more serious questions about how and when that might matter for your health, right? And how Mm -hmm. and when that might matter in terms of learning more things about how the body works in the first place right? One of the things that we don't often talk about is that actually being a male mammal makes you really physically vulnerable. We usually talk about male mammals being super strong. You know, you picture your Schwarzeneggers, right? They've got a lot of muscle and all that. But actually, men die sooner, okay? The female body is better at not dying. That is true across mammals. But the interesting thing about it is that part of that may be tied to their androgens. Specifically, it kind of makes their cardiovascular system a bit more crap, They get more heart attacks, Mm -hmm. they get more um, peripheral vascular disease, and it advances sooner in their lives than it does in people with ovaries. Well, what's interesting is that trans women, we now have a study on it, who have been on uh, estrogens to better present their gender identity, tend to have better heart measures. So long as they didn't smoke. Please, nobody smoke. Smoking is terrible for you. If you smoke, it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what your gender is, is bad. 
right? Um, but otherwise, mm-hmm. right? And that's a thing that we wouldn't have known if we'd never done that study. We would never mm-hmm. have had a useful measure for what happens when you add a lot of freaking estrogen to an otherwise typically male Y chromosome testicle having body, right? Unless mm-hmm. we had actually studied trans people. So I would love to enroll more trans folk in studies, please, because it's actually going to save a lot of men's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're already good as women at, at living for a long time. But it sounds like in the book, you you, you even talked about uh, the role of female hormones in helping recover from head injuries, which I found yeah. to be super fascinating. Um yeah, I mean, is that is that some sort of future possible treatment that we're unlocking by studying the way that female hormones can like help men recover from injury or avoid health catastrophe? Yeah, short answer is yes. Yes, the answer is yes. We're looking into what estradiol, that's E2, you have a bunch of different estrogens, that's one of them, can do in emergency settings. Because um, it does seem to be true that female skin in many circumstances recovers from many different kinds of wounds better with less scarring. That's a thing, Hmm. okay? Except in the burn unit, and that just sucks, and that has to do with surface area and inflammation, and I won't get into the nitty-gritty. Like, Definitely don't get burned. Anyway, but if you do happen to get hit in the head with a tire iron, and I hope that doesn't happen to anyone listening uh, and not you either, Aaron, it is true that your <laughs> prognosis would be better when you arrive in the ER, assuming you're not already dead, than a male with the exact same injury. And it has something Hmm. to do with how that brain tissue is responding to local inflammation. Basically, Hmm. and we're still unlocking how, but there seems to be something protective about female hormone profiles. There seems to be something protective in how your actual even neurons respond to local inflammation, even without your estrogens, right? For some reason, just having two X chromosomes makes your neurons better at not killing themselves in response to other dead cells around them. All of this is great. Hmm. All of this is good. We like that. We like surviving. We're trying to figure out, we being science, you know, not specifically me or you, but science, (laughs) we're trying to figure out whether or not a bolus of estradiol or some other kind of hormone thing could help these patients have a better prognosis and when that window of treatment might be. Like, do we need to do it in the ER? Do we need to give it to the people if they're going to hit you in the head with a tire iron, then they have to give it to you? Because if they're hitting you in the head with a tire iron, they're very unlikely to then immediately begin treatment. You know, like just (laughs) motivation-wise, like that's probably not what they're after. But yeah, like we don't know exactly when. But no, there's a lot of different research going on. It does seem to be true that maybe one of the better ways to help male body survive is to temporarily in specific ways make them more female just for a hot minute wow. just for a sec yeah um since putting out the book have you stumbled into more questions like big questions that you didn't get a chance to pursue when you were writing eve Mm. Well, I mean, the book used to be like 150 pages longer, and it's not a short book. So I love my editors. It was my first book. Had to figure out how to do things like write a book. Um, But sure, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't include. Um, There was a lot of stuff about why female bodies seem to be better at the general not dying thing. Um, There was a lot of stuff about castration 
actually, that I've largely been doing live as opposed to uh, in the book itself. They were a little worried that somehow my male readers might, you know, have a little shrinkage <laughs> in uh, in response to my advocating that they remove their balls. Uh, which is, I'm not, I'm not actually saying, I'm not actually saying everyone should get castrated. I'm just saying that of men who have been castrated historically, they live longer, healthier lives. That's just a thing. That's a thing that's true. That's a thing that's true across mammals and in human beings it'll actually add 14 years on average to your life some live way longer don't do this at home please but it's true but that that i did not that i did not put in but that does mean i've gotten a lot of questions like in my signing lines specifically about balls now ever since i was like mm-hmm. on the daily show talked about some balls and elsewhere talking about balls like now guys really want to know for example will a vasectomy be enough like do i have to remove them or can i just and unfortunately you would have to remove them guys sorry to get the 14 years oh. you do yeah oh. i know i know that's that's a shame I mean, not very many people are seeing those theoretically, but if you have to look at it every day, I mean, I don't know. That's that's a pretty important part of it. And it seems to matter when in your life you do it. So, like, at the point that guys start worrying about their end times, you know, their end of life, it probably isn't going to make nearly as much difference. So just consider them the little furry friends that you have and are slightly murdery, but it's okay. (laughs) You know, just tuck them away. I know they sweat a lot. The sweat goes down when you get older. I've learned that, too. You know, less sweaty balls as you get older. They're longer because of gravity, but less sweaty so that's such great information i'm so glad that (laughs) you should write a book about balls next and i will actually i will buy it Mm. i will buy a book that you write about balls because i enjoyed eve how the female body drove 200 million years of human evolution so much kat bohannon thank you so much for joining us this is a great conversation i loved the book listeners if you're interested at all in what we're talking about go out and buy it immediately it's so good or you can borrow my copy but there's probably a lot more of you and the waiting list will be long all right (laughs) quick break time when we come back sanity corner slash i feel petty if you loved what you learned about penises in this interview make sure to subscribe and share with your friends guys it's been a rough year going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet you could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender do your worst but we have a better idea for you which is pick out something from the crooked store the store is stocked with tons of new merch it's perfect for the spring and classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship depending on how things go pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year or a hat celebrating your favorite pod go to crooked.com store to shop All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. 
He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious, he'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy Rails tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. Before we get to Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty, we have some announcements for the class. On Monday, February 12th, I'll be on the Friends of the Pod Discord at 1 p.m. Pacific time for an Ask Me Anything. If you're around, come join the conversation. Ask me something good. Erin, you got great questions when you did your AMA. I didn't even get to answer all of them. I, I felt bad because there were so many good questions. I was just trying to, like, take them as they came in. And I, I yeah, they were great. Our listeners are the best. They're the best. So send me good questions. Not a member? Head to crooked.com slash friends to sign up. If you missed our episode last week with Shaniqua from VSA, listen up. It's 2024 and there's so much to do, but it's hard to know where to start. If your decision paralysis has set in, it's now easier than ever to find the volunteer opportunities that are right for you with Vote Save America's brand new Action Finder. You tell VSA the causes you care about, they'll tell you the most high-impact ways to get involved from your state all the way to the White House. Call it the cure for doom scrolling. Go to votesaveamerica.com slash volunteer to get started. Okay, that's all taken care of. Um, I've got a sanity corner. I'm not petty this Well, I'm petty, but I'm going to— Oh, that's okay. I have two petties this week. Okay, good, good. I've got a sanity corner. I am— an evangelist about this show now. Like after okay. su- after Succession ended, I think a lot of us had to settle into this new disappointing reality that the era of peak content hasn't necessarily produced peak quality shows. There's a Agree. lot of shit out there and even shows that that should be better than they are are not very good. Uh True Detective ruins Christmas. I'm looking at you. Um that's what I'm just dis- that's, that's what we I'm call not True into Detective. not into feud yet. Like yeah. feud, the first two episodes of feud were like kind of disappointing. Truman I mean, Capote and the Swans. It was I was expecting more uh, from Ryan Murphy. I yeah, expect, I know, I know. I expect nothing, nothing. I expect but it to be a, a it's Naomi, it's Callista. I yeah. just Chloe Sevigny. Yeah, it's it's. I feel as though that creator. I'm, I'm whatever. <laughs> I'm never going to work in this town again. Um, I feel like that creator <laughs> does this kind of like territorial pissing over really interesting subject matter and other people who would be better at covering it don't get a chance to do it because he has already like lifted his leg and peed all over it. And it's just... Good point. It's such good subject matter and it's so... Mm, I'm disappointed that it was him. That got to do it because it. But wait, I made you. Else. I made you swerve out of the out of the sandy lane. But no, this is this contributes to my point that I'm making. Is it, it, it is rare that a show meets ex- or exceeds expectations, and I have found a show that is better than anything else I've seen since Succession ended. It is on Netflix. It's called The Brother's Son, and it okay. is fucking astonishing. It is. Why so will I love it? Why will I love it? You won't love it, Alyssa. Um, oh, if you love Michelle Yeoh. You might love it. Love Michelle Yeoh. Okay, first of all, it was filmed in the San Gabriel Valley for the most part. Okay. Um, which is really cool because there's all and, and like Chinatown in LA. So it's very it's a very LA San Gabriel Valley show. It is about two 
brothers who are from a crime family that that operates out of Taipei who get mm-hmm. thrown back together in L.A. after years of being apart. Uh, one of the brothers is like a certified badass, like fighting dude, criminal, like— Oh, I'm looking this up. Dude. I might be into this. Yeah, well— the 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 fighting brother is extremely handsome, so mm-hmm. that also contributes to a lot of people enjoying the show. But it is uh, so the, the brother from Taipei goes back to L.A. to protect his mother, who's played by Michelle Yeoh, and he has a brother who's back in L.A. who is kind of a soft boy, and uh, trouble follows them. And it is so good. It is so funny. Um, I have not watched a show that made me laugh this hard. There is one scene, I'm not going to give any spoilers, in in an early episode where there is a fight at a child's birthday party involving a bunch of ninjas in those inflatable dinosaur costumes. And I was laughing so hard that I almost started crying. So there's a lot of like really incredibly choreographed fight scenes. Um, There's a lot of emotional resonance. Uh, There's Michelle Yeoh, who is like, yes, love, astonishingly good. Um, it is so much fun. Every single—I only have two episodes left, and I'm, like, sad. Savoring them? You're yeah. like, oh, I have to be in the absolute perfect headspace to watch this. I can't be interrupted. I have to take it all in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of violence. So if you don't have a stomach for violence and some very gory moments, okay. you might— You might be—it's not, like, gory, gory, gory. It's not, like, casino gory. It's not, like, drawn-out Okay, violence. it's just like some violence. You'll have a flash of some pretty like, whoa, that guy. What do they do to that guy's head? You know, like, but oh, you only boy. see it for like a second. Oh, um, that's okay. That's acceptable to me. The jokes are really funny. The world is really funny. It's shot beautifully. It almost feels like watching like a graphic novel. Okay, um, and it's it's just like so good. Every character has something about them that is like feels very fresh and unique. And uh, yeah, I just I love it. I I recommend anybody. Like the only the only like pause I would tell people to take is I, I, it's definitely not for kids, um, right? Because it is like a, a pretty it's a violent show, um, but it's not Tarantino violent. You know, it's like a light. Okay, that's a like, very good qualifier. Yeah, it's like a light R violence. You know, okay. but yeah, it's it's great. It's I absolutely love it. It was uh, created by Brian Wu and Brad Falchuk, and it's really really good. So I recommend it to everybody. Also, there's a lot of jokes at the expense of improv, just like the, <laughs> the practice of improv. And there, there's so many jokes about it, but they oh, they keep being funny, and I, I I just truly love it. So that's my sanity corner for this week. Alyssa, you got some petties, huh? I'm feeling so petty about a couple things. One. As soon as I read this, I immediately sent it to you. It was the People magazine article about how Alzheimer's disease might be partially caused by nose picking. Okay. Now, okay. And you tamped me down because you were like, no, Alyssa, let me tell you. Here's why I think this is petty. Here's why I am petty about this, though. Uh It is like cold and flu season. We're all just trying to hang on. And by hang on, I mean last week specifically when I logged on to record this show with you, I was like, hold on, I have a booger that's about to fall out of my nose. Mm -hmm. I cannot worry about everything on the planet, including whether or not getting an errant bug out of my nose is going to catapult me into Alzheimer's. Like, this is just... Not. I can't. I can't right now. I just can't with this. They should have done it. I mean, I know allergy season comes soon, but I just felt like I just got over COVID. It hung on with me for a really long time. And I was like, oh, great. Terrific. Thank you now for this (laughs) night terror that I will wake up at two in the morning thinking about when I go to get my tissue. And then it's just going to get awkward. Sometimes you just need to take your finger and flick the booger out of your nose. Look, you don't. 
Now I'm like dampening towels and trying to finesse things. It's like, look, Elizabeth, I'm overcorrected. We had, we had Kat Bohannon on earlier in the show. I got to talk to yes, her. Yes, that was and wonderful. She, it sounds like she would say something like, if we weren't supposed to pick our nose, why do our fingers fit up there? Yes. Yes, I agree. You can't look, you you quieted my brain on this yesterday when you were like <laughs> It's like we're Alyssa, getting, let we're me get my Alzheimer's MD. because of the chemical company exactly. and all of the poison in our food. There are a million drink. other reasons. Yes. But it's not because I, you picked your nose. In a world where everything is really too much to handle, that was just oh, a brick my load couldn't bear when it came out. I'm just going to say this. Uh, it wasn't until I moved to the great American West that I understood the phenomenon of desert boogers. When there is yes. very low humidity, there is no amount of blowing that will dislodge some of those boogers. They, the they ones like, up here. Yeah. They form like you need to pick them out because otherwise they're just going to stay in there for like a presidential administration. They're going to be yes. in there for years and years. So look, I, I guess I would rather experience a small amount of cognitive decline than live with permanent desert boogers. <laughs> See, okay, so I agree with that. And here's the other thing I feel petty about. Okay. I don't know how many hundreds of years I have watched Law and & Order, and nobody needs to, like, comment in Discord or anything about propaganda. I'm, like, adult enough to know, like, right from wrong. Oh, you know, Kara Clank, who are one of our panelists on the show, do, does a whole podcast about Law and & Order. And she, she does. And she is extremely not susceptible to propaganda. Here's my thing. Sam Watterson, ADA, district attorney, all the roles he has he has covered on his tenure in the show. Sam Watterson is a fucking curmudgeon. He's been a curmudgeon since he was in his 30s. Well, as if I needed one more thing to worry about this week, he's retiring. And Tony Goldwyn is taking his place. <gasps> Tony Goldwyn... He is. I like Tony Goldwyn. Okay, Aaron. He's, he's so great, he wrong. Is, he is a great supporter of liberal causes in Hollywood. He he is. He is. I give him that personally. Yes, one. He is like Tommy Vitor's doppelganger. I don't need that in my life. <laughs> no, every I Thursday didn't, night. I never thought of that before. And now am it's I wrong? Haunt me. I'm 100% correct. You're not wrong. They are doppelgangers. You're not wrong, and that's why I'm so mad. Like, So that's number one. And two, as Fitzpatrick Grant on Scandal, the man was too emotional to lead. I know that's the whole point (laughs) of Scandal. But I need my district attorney to have his shit together, and Tony's going to have to prove to me that he can. Because right now, this feels like square peg round hole. Um, despite my affection for Tony Goldwyn, I've even seen him on Broadway. I love him, but this is just not correct to me, and I will need to be proved wrong. Okay. Okay, fair And now, enough. let everybody just go look at Pod Save America and tell me you do not see that <laughs> Tommy and Tony are separated at birth. Oh, my God. This is— mm-hmm. I don't like A compliment to both of them. A compliment to both of them. Yes, but I didn't need, like, I don't like. Yeah. Okay. I don't like seeing my friends and thinking about, like, celebrities. It just, it's too. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, those are two exceptionally petty things. Boogers and law and order. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, But that's all the time we have for this week's episode. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die, per usual her every week. Kat Bohannon, thank you so much for joining us. You can and should definitely check out her book. And listeners, thanks to all of you. There will be more hysteria next week. 
Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on IG, Twitter, and TikTok. Subscribe to Hysteria on YouTube for access to video versions of your favorite segments and other exclusive content. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a nice review. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. We get audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. And thank you to Julia Beach, Ewa Okolate, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week. 